uh, composing the here and now, recollecting mindfulness here and now is to this perception to train ourselves to to use this as a way of centering, of grounding, of being, rather than living in uh, in the uh, world of self-views and worldly attitudes, believing time is reality. <clears throat> so this, these words, sati sampachanya, sati panya, this is a ways of training ourselves here and now. Here and now what's happening, it's like this. Sound of silence. Physical posture, breathing. Just noticing, observing. An attitude is like in uh, the different upayas and skillful means the Buddha encourage us to use the ways of looking, of investing, of being here and now, but with certain attitude. So like investigating, being the observer, then there's a using the Bharyati Dhamma as a way of looking at the here and now and the present, like the, the uh, Four Noble Truths. There is suffering, there is dukkha. So that's the uh, scriptural teaching, the first sermon, and then that encourages us to bhati-bhata, to look, to observe the suffering or feelings uh, that you're experiencing, maybe physical discomfort, uh, different kind of mental states, moods, doubts, worries. So just this this uh, emphasis on dukkha is um, gives us a perspective of looking at at uh, this not as a projection of the mind, but observing, being the observer of dukkha rather than the owner. And on into the the, the uh, causes of suffering, the cessation, and the path. And like metta-pavana, loving-kindness. It's a bit confusing because it, it all sounds so kind of, of uh, may I abide in well-being. It sounds, you know, the structure itself is about, you know, me wanting to abide in well-being, you know. It's like a prayer. 
freedom from affliction, freedom from hostility, freedom from ill will, and so forth. Or is, is that a way of uh, an attitude, is metta, loving kindness, an attitude to be mindful with, rather than a position, you know, as a sakya ditti, may I abide in well-being, or what is it pointing at? Me Ajahn Sumato, I want to be happy. Don't rock the boat. May I be is it is that that could be Sakaditi, or it could be, you know, it's an attitude of of uh, metta, of accepting whatever I'm experiencing this time through the body, through the mind, emotions, an attitude of non-aversion, of uh, acceptance of maybe dukkha or unpleasantness or anguish or despair or self-hatred or whatever. May I abide in well-being isn't about my personality, but it's a reflection on not not uh, creating problems around the realities of the conditioned world in the present moment. It's like this. So as metta practice, you, you know, it always begins with may I abide in well-being, then it goes on to may everyone abide in well-being. And sometimes that's easier to do, isn't it? Uh, I find it much easier for me to wish everyone, you know, all creatures the very best, but uh, the, the cell, the sense of of um, may I abide in well-being, and then using and learning to to use the the attitude. What is metta practice really? Is it kind of just being sweet and loving and uncritical and nice to everything? Is it does it mean you have to approve of everything and and just be terribly kind of goody-good about life in general. You can know life is all about love and kindness and happiness and, and we can go on into, into positive thinking or is it more profound than that? Is it, is it cosmetic or is it an attitude of non-criticism? of accepting even uh, evil and ugliness and misery and doubt and despair, not approving, but in our own minds to, to uh, if, the, if such emotions, such conditions arise, then uh, the attitude of metta then is letting them be what they are rather than judging, rather than trying to destroy the evil, the bad, 
or just trying to cover up everything with, with positive thoughts. You know, like evil, there's this pretty powerful word in English. It's, you know, we're culturally conditioned to think we've got to fight against evil, conquer evil, the axis of evil, the enemy, the devil, satanic forces. And this is a cultural, you know, our dualistic culture is to, to fight off, resist, destroy the evil forces. And then with metta practice, you know, it's, a, it's not fighting, but a knowing, you know. Knowing good and evil as conditions arising, ceasing. So accepting of evil, when I say accepting, then people can get very upset because it sounds like we just go along, we, you know, evil rises, we just commit evil acts accordingly. Or accepting doesn't mean approving or, or acting on it, but allowing if evil thoughts or emotions to be the knower of them, meaning you don't just react with aversion, hatred, and, and uh, try to destroy them, but no, no evil from this uh, non-critical metta attitude. It's like this. So one can have metta for the devil. Doesn't mean you know, it doesn't mean a, a kind of sentimental, I wish you all the best devil kind of thing. And that's being ridiculous. But it is, if such devilish images or thoughts arise, our relationship to it is non-criticism, non-aversion, non-hostility. But knowing, discerning it, it is like this. So in the, you know, in the scriptures, the Mara tries, after the Buddha's enlightened, Mara comes and puts the Buddha to the test, you know, tries to tempt him or delude the Buddha, and, and the Buddha says, I know you, Mara. That's a very, I found that very helpful, because it's knowing, isn't it? knowing Mara, there you are, Mara, and shoot him, push him off the cliff. No, no, no kind of violent reaction or cursing, uh, you know, no anger, but just knowing. It's discerning, it's not, it's not personal views about Mara, but it's the discerning from the Buddha Panya level. I know, I know you Mara, 
is like it's recognizing, it's discerning knowing. Where a personal knowing, you know, say, I have Mara comes in and, and tries to seduce me, delude me, and, and I say, get out of here Mara, I hate you. And I try to kill him. <laughs> and so, and then Mara's successful, isn't it? He's, he's, uh, he's convinced me, he's deluded me, seduced me. <clears throat> now applying that to, you know, from the first practice of metta, may I abide in well-being, and uh, this, is, this is a formula you know, of, of metta. But it, it's not just a, a kind of, you know, it's not superficial at all, even though at first it can sound, uh, you know, just being very positive and nice about life. But it, it's a metta, when you really contemplate loving kindness or metta, it, it is, it's, you know, it's, it's profound. It's not just a, superficial uh, sweetness, but it's a profound willingness to, to discern and not take sides, not be caught in one's personal habits of attraction and aversion. So in, uh, you know, like in my own practice, for example, just with sound of silence, you know, the conditions, training myself over the years of monastic life to deal with uh, anger, disillusionment, jealousy, fear, uh, despair, confusion, resentment, And knowing, you know, clearly the personality, the te- personal habits that arise and the conditioning of the mind, my cultural background and, and you know, uh, karmic tendencies are like this. Then in uh, recognizing the sound of silence, you know, just using that as a reference point not to get rid of negativity or you know it's not to to uh, annihilate anything but a reference point in which i can patiently accept uh, pain and anguish and despair because it i'm not adding to it with uh, you know, liking, disliking, approving, disapproving, feeling guilty, uh, being self-critical. Or 
or being deluded into, you know, into attitudes of righteousness and, and uh, that, that, that quite easily arise in, in, the, in any religious uh, aspiration within an individual. So this gives, so this, uh, you can see it as metta. Uh, sound of silence doesn't particularly, you know, it, it's uh, just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not even a sound, a kind of vibration, or it's recognizable. And, it, and then the, the, the tendency to proliferate about myself and what I like and don't like is, it, it, I don't, it stops the proliferating tendency of the way I'm conditioned to struggle, trying to get rid of, trying to hold on to, feeling guilty, self-critical, blaming others. The whole uh, panorama of Ajahn Sumedho is is then accepted non-critically and ceases. It's not created into anything more. It's not compounded. And so in Thai, they, in the Thai language, they use the, you know, like compounding or sankara. They use the, the Thai words prungdang, which means to add to something, season something. So something arises and you, you add something to it. So like, Say anger. You feel the condition. Somebody says uh, something uh, abusive to me. You know. So then you feel this uh, resentment or anger arising. And then to compound that arising is uh, how dare you? You shouldn't. And on and on like this. That's bad. It's wrong, or it can be. I could be, you know, f- you know, think I'm being very high-minded and think I shouldn't feel anger towards that person. I try to to make it into something about. Uh, maybe I'm feeling guilty or blaming the person or blaming myself. That's what we call compounding, isn't it? Adding to the actual condition arising. So like the, even the thinking mind will call it, you know, anger. But that's another additive, isn't it? Compounding, putting a, a, a word to the actual arising is, is a form of, is another kind of compounding where the sound of silence, the thinking mind stops and then the, the feeling, the conditions for that emotion arise, but it's not making a problem about it. It's allowing it to be, but not attaching to it through getting, you know, grasping it and, and, and getting caught in your own personal tendencies, uh, how you deal with anger, or trying to suppress it and resist it and deny it. 
So this is a subtle, this is a subtlety, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, it's uh, ideally, you know, we shouldn't get angry, we should have metta for each other, and uh, so forth. It's all the shoulds of life, the ideals. But we live in the, in, not in the ideals, but in the way things are. And, and this is where this ittabhajyada, this con- conditioning, when the conditions arise, when, when you know, this is the karma of, of being human, <clears throat> human individual, or being a mammal, you know, dogs and cats get angry. <clears throat> you know, anger is a, is a kind of primal emotion. Lust, anger, fear. These are, you know, these are primal conditions. These are part of the package of being born as a as a human being, or as a, an ape, or a dog, or a cat. So this is, uh, and then the, the human problem is that we identify with it. You know, we, and we have ideas of, you know, if we're really mindful samanas, then we shouldn't be angry, we should be full of loving kindness even when somebody uh, you know attacks us or or humiliates us or or abuses us in brutal and unkind ways we should you know we should just feel loving kindness for them is is uh, uh, but can you do that on a personal level can your personality the sakyaditi is that loving kindness you know, can you make yourself uh, love and like something that's totally unlikable as a person, as a as, as through sakyaditi? I can't do that, but I can through understanding, discerning sakyaditi. And then I can deal with with the condition, the karmic conditions that that I have to experience in this form, whether they're praise and blames, happiness, suffering, whatever. Because then one one is no longer uh, coming from from this compounding from idea ideals are compounds, aren't they? How things should be. Their creations and their, they, they, uh, you know, they, we add them to life. But Dhamma, you know, this word Dhamma is not, an, it's not about ideals. There's no kind of ideal Dhamma. It's uh, here and now attention. It's reality. It's the way it is. It's the uh, discerning, knowing that is available to us in this human form with whatever kind of karmic inheritance we have as individuals.
So, having met them for, say, for example, somebody insults me and I feel, and I feel this anger arising, metta for the anger is not, is not pungdang, it's not compounding or adding or making it anything more than what it is, it's totally accepting the feeling. And then that I can do in, in this uh, reference to sound of silence, because it's here and now, and it stops the, the tendency and the habit of making it more than what it is. And then the perspective on it's allowing the anger to be and, and arise and cease. Because if you don't attach or resist, its nature is to cease. What arises ceases and is anatta, non-self. So when we, you know, when we chant the sharing of blessings and things like this, sharing the blessings of our life with Mara and and things like with the you know, the devils and the devas and so forth, it's uh, you know this is, isn't it isn't about personal. It's not not trying to to be something we can't be as a person. You know, to be the ter- terribly, you know, to try to make ourselves or convince ourselves that we should be an ideal, an ideal person. But, and they have this kind of generosity, this willingness to learn from, from evil, from Mara, from insults and despair, from not getting what we want, from wanting things we, we, we don't have, and uh, and all the whole, the whole range of human immersion, habit, tendencies, wholesome, unwholesome, willing willingness to learn and to discern, to see the anatta of it all, and the the anicca, the dukkha. So Mara, or you know, Satan in the Christian terms, is really, you know, they will have relentlessly pursue you through your life because um, it's your best friend. It won't let you get away with anything till you finally totally let go. You know, it keeps putting you to the test. So in the scriptures, Mara was still after the Buddha, after he was many years enlightened, you know. Just, uh, and, and this is, uh, you know, this realm we live in, it's like this. It's not, it's not an ideal realm. It's not, it has, it's good, bad, beautiful, ugly. The whole, the whole range of qualities and quantities, conditions, (coughs) 
Then we have these human karmas to live with, the sexual desires, sexual bodies. And notice how in the, like in modern life, you know, the Western world, we identify strongly with sexuality. You know, it's, it's me and mine. It's, uh, it's judged as good, bad, right or wrong. It's uh, held up as sacred and, and the best thing that happens to human beings. Or it's considered dirty and impure or vile or whatever. And then there's different tendencies, sexual tendencies, karmic tendencies homosexuality and so forth, all these, we identify with these tendencies, maybe karmic tendencies. And it becomes an obsession of the society, you know, the sexual, sexual identities are, you hear it all the time, everything is, you know, about sex these days. And it's, uh, you know, so it's a, uh, this sense of uh, that, that I, this is my, this is me, and then we judge it according to uh, what social, what society regards it as being right and wrong, good and bad, allowable, unallowable. Those are the. The, the compounds we add in the, this is right, this is wrong. So whatever, you know, what sexuality is, is, is the nature of the body. It's a sexual form. And it's, it's the body is for procreating the species. The male body, female body are like this. You know, so it's, uh, it's just the, you know, we, we as a community are celibate community, not as some kind of puritanical position, we, an attack against, uh, you know, some kind of puritanical view of sexuality, but being able to observe it, to be the knower of sexual desire, of lust, of one's personal views or tendencies or preferences, you know, like this. Then the metta isn't, is non-judgmental, it's not trying to justify or, or, or uh, reject or approve or disprove, but knowing. So that celibacy of brahmacharya is it has to be voluntary, you know, you can't force, when you're forced into some kind of celibate life, you know, it, it, it has, you know, it's not, it's just a form of tyranny. But uh, becoming a samana is where you, you uh, know what you're doing. You're choosing celibacy. A brahmacharya, it, because it's a way of, say, looking and observing these uh, sexual energies that one experiences through the body and through the changing conditions 
that we experience in life is like this. And the knower, the discerning, discerning of sexuality isn't sexuality. It's non-personal. It's not my, me anymore or, or the sexual uh, arousal of the present is, is seen in terms of Dhamma, of what it really is rather than judged according to uh, social attitudes or personal attitudes about it or identities. Because the conditions, you know, it's this one of, you know, the insights into conditionality. When the conditions arise, and this is, you know, when, when for anger, for lust, for fear, for jealousy, envy, confusion, despair, resentment, boredom, aversion, and so forth, then this is, this is the, you know, these are ways of describing certain energetic experiences. But our relationship to them as, as mendicants, as, uh, as samanas, as celibate, is, uh, is the, our soul, you know, the way of practice of developing the path is being aware of them, what arises ceases. And to allow something that has arisen to cease is metta, isn't it? It's it's not it's not trying to get rid of it, but to be patient, allowing, say, uh, evil to ar- that has arisen to let it cease in its own. You know, but not act on it or speak on it, but know it, discern it. So one have metta for Mara, it means that, uh, you know, when Mara comes to to uh, delude you, say, I know you, Mara, and then Mara ceases. It's, it's performing its its duty as a condition that arises and ceases. The, Mara is not the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So you can call this transcendence, you know, this relationship of the unborn to the born. But, uh, you know, whatever words we use, that's not quite it, you know, there's just the limitation of language. Because transcendence, uh, you know, it's, uh, it sounds, can sound very dualistic, you know, like above it all, you know, we're up here and the kind of conditions are over there, down there, below us. But in this, uh, in this, in the reality of the here and now, then the they're together, the unborn and the born. The born can't, conditions can't be born, 
if there is no unconditioned unborn. They're not independent agents. But because of human ignorance and identity out of ignorance to attach and identify with the, with the born, the created, the form, then we are, you know, we, we're kind of caught in this uh, sangsaric uh, motion of birth and death. And so then this reflection of being able to perceive, to see, you know, from this unborn, uncreated awareness, the born and the created. Now, in training them, you know, like this sound of silence practice, you know, I just, because it, I found it effective. Because it, you know, training oneself to, to refer to it wherever you are. When you're washing the dishes or walking from here to there or in the London Underground or Heathrow Airport, meditation hall, whether you're feeling healthy or sickly or whatever. Things are going your way or things are going all wrong. Everybody loves me or hates me. Then the sound of silence, training oneself, remembering this, this uh, scintillating, resonating, Vibration. And then uh, remembering it, and, and as you cultivate, it means you keep, keep kind of extending it. So you, you're staying with it for a longer period of time because it, it is a, like a stream. It, it, it doesn't just begin and end. Maybe your attention, you know, you, you have it and then you lose it. But it's always here and now. And it's not kind of uh, obliterating anything. It's not like it, it just uh, takes over and obliterates all other conditions. It's like space or background or consciousness. It has a, like the unborn, uncreated, it, has, it can function like this because as you acknowledge it and kind of cultivate it, rest in it, You know, it becomes, you know, you begin to notice it everywhere. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Whatever state you happen to be in. So it can be seen as metta practice also. <clears throat> because when I'm resting in this silence and this stillness, then, then I can accept whatever. You know, I'm not resisting, judging, struggling, 
analyzing, criticizing, caught in, in maybe personal uh, emotional habits or reactions to conditions that are happening. It can stop just getting, you know, getting caught up in, in the habitual patterns. So then they, and then it allows me to give me space or ability to, to accept something I don't like and don't want. where I can have that discerning ability to see that I don't like this, I don't want this, is like this. It's a emotion that arises, is like this. And in the sound of silence, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not an annihilation of it, but it's not a perpetuation of that desire. I'm not feeding it, nor resisting it, suppressing it, or attaching to it. <clears throat> so then, you have to discern this for yourself. Is that liberation or not? You know, is that suffering or not? Is it, you know, letting things go, being what they are, is that dukkha or non-dukkha? And so like investigating, you, is that self or non-self? Is this awareness in the silence That's, you know, then my intuitive sense is that's non-self. It has no personality. It's not a condition that, that I create out of ignorance and desire. But it gives me the perspective on those tendencies, on those habits that I've developed in my life as a human being to, you know, to create myself and believe in my own thoughts and emotions and feelings and and so forth that I, you know, if I didn't have this perspective I'd, I would be just, you know, fumbling around with, in the same old way with, uh, with all the conditioning I've acquired. So then, loving-kindness, that's putting a more kind of positive, you're saying loving-kindness is, is a more inspiring way of looking at something, but it can be, it's not sentimental or superficial, it's, it's profound, it's unconditioned, non-violent awareness of the nature of conditioned phenomena. And, and the patience, being patient with the very things that on a personal level we're very impatient about. And then on a personal level we suffer a lot from impatience. I don't like this, I don't want that, I don't approve of this, how can we get rid of this, and so forth. Uh, you know, anger is always a sign, a lack of uh, patience. So in this, with this uh, stillness, this sound of silence, this patience, with this, with this uh, flowing, resonating 
with, you know, uh, allows us to not make problems or, or compound the condition that has arisen. So then, you know, then, then I can affirm non-suffering is like this. This is not suffering. So I'm using the words dukkha and non-dukkha, attachment, non-attachment, self, not self. Or just take, take the Pali words like lopa dosa moha, greed, hatred and delusion. You know, greed and non-greed. Can you discern when there's no greed and when there is in your consciousness? We tend to, you know, not notice, not recognize, not discern non-greed or non-hatred or non-delusion. But, you know, we, because we're so identified with greed, hatred and delusion with views about it. Greed is, you know, that's not we shouldn't be greedy, hatred, we shouldn't hate, delude, I don't want to be deluded. You know, so it's, those are all, have pejorative meanings, greed, hatred, and delusion. And the causes of suffering. But ignorance is the cause, isn't it? Ignorance of greed, hatred, and delusion. <clears throat> So, it's not <clears throat> getting rid of greed, hatred, and delusion as some kind of annihilation, but <clears throat> knowing, discerning when non-greed is like this. Then the sound of silence. That may be greedy uh, feelings, then you can, you, you, you're aware of them and their presence and then their absence because they, they, they arise and cease. Greed, hatred and delusion. Alopa, adosa, amoha. Is, an, is, you know, these are words to, to remind yourself what is there greed or non-greed. Now, in this resonating silence, there's a discerning of non-greed right now that, I, that I'm experiencing. So it's a discerning non-greed is like this. Non-aversion is like this. Now delusion isn't so clear, is it? You know, greed, uh, Lust, and that is quite strong, and hatred, anger, resentment, delusion, moha, is, you know, doubt, worry, you can start down, am I just fooling myself? Is there a moha? Or maybe there's a slight bit of moha still there, okay, you know, so we start getting caught in trying to figure out whether there's a moha or moha or delusion. But in this perspective, uh, emphasis on the unborn, uncreated, sound of silence, then this is, then, you know, the doubting tendency, am I deluding myself, is seen as a condition arising and ceasing. <clears throat> 
doubt in wichikecha and your own you know tendency to be self-critical and and uh, fears and and guilt and all these these uh, forms of delusion can be you, you, there's a discerning their presence and then through letting their presence, acknowledging their presence, then you're aware of their absence also because then they cease. And amoha. And then this is uh, peacefulness too because it, it takes one, you know, one is peaceful rather than, you know, because the, the sangsara is not peaceful. Lopa dosamo are not peaceful states. You know, you can't make the sangsara a peaceful place. But um, you can abide in peacefulness through awareness and discernment. So that, that, this discerning like <coughs> non, non-greed, alopa, and that's where, you know, there's kind of trusting yourself. You're the one that knows what's happening inside you. You know, you, you know you, on a personal level, that's why, you know, you can be caught with kind of doubt and worry and feelings of, uh, you know, self-doubt or confusion around it. But, you know, this, and as long as you keep operating from, uh, from the self-view, from Sakyadidhi, then of course, you're, you're just perpetuating the self-view. So it's, it's not getting rid of self-view, but discerning it. And so this is, this is my suggestion. But I you know, you have to find out the result of it. But, it, it, you know, from your own practice, but it's, a, you know, it's a matter of learning to trust this not yourself, not your personality or your views or opinions, but to this, this awareness. And then, the, then the, it puts me in a state of alert attention, listening, and then the, then the one can be the observer of the arising and ceasing of lopa dosa moha. And so, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I know you, lopa, isn't, uh, isn't, uh, you know, uh, aversion to lopa, is it? It's knowing. I know you, dosa. I know you, moha. It's just, you know, just uh, letting, it, knowing, discerning, and, and letting it be what it is. And of course, the lopadosa moha are, arise and cease according to condition. So because we have these, these uh, sexual forms to live with, the human form, then, then the conditions for, for sexual uh, for lust arise, you know, conditions. And of course, celibate life, we're trying to 
live in a way that isn't particularly promoting uh, a lot of sexual temptations, shaven head, the robe, and so forth, is a kind of, you know, way of, of not perpetuating or exaggerating or, or personifying uh, the sexual tendencies one has. But still, with the, with still within the celibate life, we have to, you know, we, we're aware of, of that because that's part of the karma that's the, of this species. And so our relationship to it is knowing, discerning, non-acting on it. You know, not because of the, the uh, vow of celibacy commitment to celibacy, non-action. So uh, one of the epithets for the Buddha is uh, knower of the worlds, knower of the world, loka we do. And so this is don't think that loka we do is, is a quality of the Buddha of India 2,500 years ago. <laughs> and that, you know, it's, he, you know, he did it, but you, you, you can't. It's not that, you, that we become Buddhas, but it's like when we're in this, when we discern this unborn and our relationship to the born then is a knower knower of the world, the born is, a, is the world, isn't it? The born that created the form, the condition. This is, this is the world. This is me, this is you, this is England. This is, on and on, on like that, you know, they create the world, knower of the world, loka we do. Don't sell yourself short by thinking that you're, you're just a, ordinary person that, and nothing like the Buddha. The Buddha was enlightened prophet and you're just a neurotic, screwed up personality. <laughs> Don't believe it. You know, so, nor this is within this, this whole, the whole purpose of this uh, convention of Buddhism is to, like taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is, isn't about me as a person, it's a reminder. Loka Vidu, Buddha, being the knowing, trusting in this awareness and discerning and cultivating it. Bhavana, Bhattibhata, meditation. Thank uh-huh.